Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, I and he have written, oh, together, 35 cookbooks, including the Instant Air Fryer Bible, which is out in just over a month. If you have an instant brand Vortex or Omni Air Fryer, you have got to get this book to figure out the best ways to use your machine. But to be honest with you, you can use the book for any air fryer out there because after all, 350 Fahrenheit is 350 Fahrenheit. We're not talking about air frying today. We're talking about frying. Well, frying in your car if you live in the South. We're going to talk about eating in your car. Mm, We're going to talk about how to eat best in your car and what (laughs) not to eat in your car. That's the strangest segment I have ever ever heard of. We're going to give you our one-minute cooking tip. We have an interview coming up as usual, and we're going to tell you what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. Well, social media is full of great ideas. Stop. No. no. What? What the hell? Social media is full of great ideas. <laughs> oh, I, I guess if you want to see 20-year-olds smear marinara all over their chests, sure, it's full of great ideas. Or a lot of deformed people. Oh. That happens in my social media. It says everything about your algorithm right there. But recently, there are a few things came across my feed that I want to talk about because they're all about eating in your car. Right. And they're really interesting. So the first thing you could buy is a hanging tray. Is Back- this like a Homer with his coffee <laughs> pot and all that in the oh, car? He had a chocolate fountain and a and a uh, yeah. waffle iron. Mm, yeah, is did. it okay? A hang. Well, so, there are two ways to do okay, it. Okay, a hang hanging it on, tray on your steering wheel. So you have a little tray right in your. Wait, am I supposed to drive with this thing? They don't tell you not to. They don't <laughs> tell you not but to. But the first time you go to make okay. a turn, where's your lunch going to go? Well, <laughs> they don't tell you not to. Okay. All right. Or you could hang it on the back seat in front of your kids or your grandmother and give them. And food. what happens when you make a turn then and they got a big slushy on it? Because my grandmother's drinking a slushy. <laughs> so what happens then? What flavor slushy would your grandmother be drinking? Dream cola. Okay, please go on. So that's the first thing. Then, I love this one, the Sauce Moto Dip Holder, because you're eating your Chicken McNuggets, and you need some place to hold your dip. Uh, what in the world? No, you, you go to the drive-thru, and you buy the McNuggets to eat on the highway, Okay. and where are you going to put that disgusting dip? Right, so you hang it on... disgusting dip. I hear your prejudice already. Please go on. So you hang it on the AC vent, and then you could just dip your chicken. And then the nice thing is it acts like like an air freshener, because then the blowing air blows across it and fills your car. (laughs) Is this really a real product? I mean, they make this and it hangs off your air conditioner. It's called Sauce Moto. Sauce Moto. Moto. Well, you know all about things coming out of air conditioned events to fragrant your car. <sighs> no, I don't. I, um, <laughs> I really don't want to tell this story, but he's wanting me to tell you this story. So, before I ever met Bruce, I was dating a guy and we went out on a picnic together in Austin, uh, or outside of Austin. I was living in Texas at the time, and you know how hot Texas can be in the summer. It was super hot, but we went out for a picnic in the middle of the summer, and I had a couple dogs back then, like I do now, but I had a couple dogs back then, not the same dogs, of course. It was a long time ago. And uh, so, you know, we cleaned up our picnic, and we wondered where the butter had gone, but we couldn't figure 
it out. Of course, we bought a stick of butter and I don't even know why. Don't even ask me why. So we bought a stick of butter and the butter was gone. Well, we cleaned up the car. Well, clearly one of the dogs had eaten the butter, but we didn't know it. So we start on the way back from the hill country back to Austin itself. And this dog likes to stand on the console panel between the two front seats, like with his feet on the back seat and his front feet uh, on that console panel. I would no longer allow that. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, I was young and foolish. Anyway, so he did. And, of course, I we got in the car. It was a million degrees in the car. I turned the air conditioner on giant volume blow tornado so that we could cool off. We started away. The dog barfed up the butter. It flew in to the air conditioner vents and then ricocheted back on us out of the air. So it was this stringing vomit out of air conditioner mm. vents. On that is a Texas story. I I don't know what kind of. If what, you'd what had the sauce say. moto, there would have been some place for the vomit to go. Oh, if I'd had a sauce moto. So that is so. I don't. Quite an okay. First of all, and Bruce knows this is about me. I do not understand eating in cars, and I don't really eat in cars, and I don't like eating in cars. And it's because I'm so OCD that I don't like crumbs in my car, and so it's a whole thing. I really and Bruce knows that this is a problem in our marriage. I don't even like water bottles in the car. I don't like food things in the car. It takes me a big breath of air to even like get a coffee and put it in the car on a road trip. So, And how come every time I take the car for a car wash, I'm vacuuming out potato chips from under the seat? Because you're eating them. Oh. Because you you are the one who opens bags of potato chips in the car and eats them. I don't ever do these kind of things. I mean, occasionally on road trips, again, it, I don't know. It's okay. There's so, one more thing. It's right, the please. waterproof garbage can for the car. Now, that makes sense. Why do you need a garbage can? <laughs> what are you doing in your car that requires cans? Well, this way it keeps you from throwing the garbage on the floor. And I uh, get wh- it because like. What? 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 It keeps you from what? Throwing the garbage on the floor. Uh, oh my god! You no, know, the 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 wrappers from those chicken wings and oh from the god. hot dogs and the potato chip okay, bags. Okay, so uh, but if it's waterproof, there are much better uses for it than garbage. Yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> I got in someone's car a couple of weeks ago, and um, when I got in the car. They had to wipe everything off the passenger seat and onto the floor. And then I kind of had to <laughs> squish it to the side with my feet and sit down in the passenger seat and buckle in. And I was so uncomfortable. But, okay, I will admit, type A homosexual can handle the me- – I, why do you need a garbage can? So, so you buy this ga- waterproof waterproof garbage can. Well, that way you have someplace to pee when you're <gasps> stuck in traffic and you don't have a bottle. Okay, so here's the thing about eating in the car, and I just want to say there are – if you don't know, there are hundreds of videos on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram Reels, everywhere – of 20-year-olds eating takeout in their cars. And they go to various places, uh, especially I think this is kind of post-pandemic. So they'll go to, I don't know, a local Vietnamese restaurant and they'll order takeout as you can now in all of these restaurants post-pandemic. And – take it out to their car and eat it and try the food. And there's a billion videos. Honestly, they're super popular of, you know, eating, I don't know, Lebanese food from some place and testing and it. And eating it in your car. And rating. And they rate it. You know, they're like, oh, and this is the this and this is the shawarma. Oh, so this, this is, is a the... mukbanging. 
No, 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 no. This is like taking out takeout food and raiding it, but okay. they do it all from their car, okay. and the whole videos are shot in the car. I don't. I have to tell you that I am so old. I don't really understand the car video fascination because there's whole videos, right? Thousands of videos of people having political diatribes in cars and having discussions about relationships in cars. Look, that whole series with Jerry Seinfeld driving comedians driving in cars having coffee. Yeah, but this is a, this is different. This is a social media thing. So it's just me in my car, and I know you can mount the car, the car. You can mount the camera on your windshield to do it, but I still don't quite understand it. I, somebody told me once it was about the sound, that the sound inside a car is better than the ambient room sound at home. That's a little tight. It's so, like being in a sound studio. Right. So it has a bit of more of a sound studio quality about it inside a car. And so when you close the doors, especially if you have a newer car and you close them and you're in there, you know, and you try your, I don't know, Lebanese takeout, it, ha- it has better sound quality all around. And plus, you're in the sunshine and we all know the light is better from the sun so you're kind of in filtered sunlight through the windows it's weird but the still the eating in the car uh just uh drives me crazy well it's a big thing because even car and driver magazine has recently run a piece for tips for eating your car and they gave a list of the best drive-through and takeout foods to eat Is this via Car and Driver Magazine yeah. of the best things? Okay, well, oh, yeah. so what is the so best McDonald's thing? So McDonald's cheeseburger because it's compact and drip free. Okay, and what they I, I know what they mean by that. They mean the plain cheeseburger, the small cheeseburger yeah. that's like this, the meat, of pa- meat, uh, meat patty, cheese, and the bun. And they cheese don't is mean in quotes. That, yeah, well, but a meat is in quotes. But <laughs> the bun is in quotes. But they, they what they mean by that is not the big old quarter pounder or, or whatever McDonald's Listen how idiotic I am. I don't even know what McDonald's serves. This is what a food snot I have become. So I don't even know what it is McDonald's serves. Write in and tell us what what McDonald's serves because I don't know. Well, the but next thing that they say is the best. Plain one. It's from Starbucks, and it's the bacon and Gouda sandwich, and they claim it is so compact it's like eating a wallet. That's a plus? <laughs> eating a wallet? Just telling you. I don't eat wallets. <laughs> well, but it's flat and like square and compact. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I think the more the older I get, the Frencher I get because you know there's this uh, uh, prohibition in France against eating on the streets, <laughs> and that, you know, I mean it's not pro, it's not an official prohibition, but I mean they 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 are appalled that Americans walk down the street eating things, and uh, many Parisians comment if you watch enough TikTok videos as I do, comment about the nastiness of Americans and Brits walking down the street eating things in public on the street. So I, 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 maybe I'm just becoming Frencher. The first time you took me to Paris in 1996, I did. there were crepe stands on the street. They're from the Americans. Oh. They're for tourists. Oh, I was about to say, because all these people are walking down the streets eating crepes. All these people, all these U.S. <laughs> citizens were walking down the streets eating crepes. Okay, what's another good thing to eat in the Another car? good thing is Popeye's chicken sandwich, and they claim it's because, one, it comes wrapped in a foil pouch, and you can peel it back to eat it like you're peeling a banana. Okay, well, uh, that I approve of, because, A, the Popeye's chicken sandwich is delicious. Ah, something I know about. It <laughs> is delicious, and, two... I like the peel back part, but there are definitely things that you shouldn't eat in a car. Oh, yeah. They do give a list of the worst things to eat in a car. Anything from Panda Express. 
I think it goes without saying. I, how does that work? How do you drive <laughs> and Chinese eat fruit. Chinese? How do you do? You use the chopsticks? I hope. <laughs> I hope you're using chopsticks. And only I, if you have that tray that hangs off of your steering Also, wheel. I hope you have a manual shift <laughs> so that you have chopsticks, a manual shift, a tray, and and what a and lemon chicken. Well, I hope they claim you should never order the Wendy's baked potato <gasps> because you're driving and it's about the the potato no. itself is about 400 degrees no, Fahrenheit no, no, when no, you bite no. into it. You don't it. eat a potato. Baked potato while you're <laughs> driving. It's really funny. Some, again, I, you, uh, you've heard it here that I am opposed to eating in the car, but sometimes Bruce and I will take long car trips. I'm a Texas boy, I can't help it. We take long tr- car trips, and occasionally we have swapped off. Occasionally we've been in the middle of a long car trip. We stopped somewhere, we picked up a sandwich to split, and then Bruce will eat half and I'll drive and then you know we'll swap and do that but or it, it, that's why we need the waterproof garbage can for when we if, eat those well, sandwiches if Bruce is driving I'll be really careful about like decla- you know uh, what am I saying putting the sandwich in a napkin so that it doesn't drip mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm so OCD again scrape it off the seat <laughs> so that I can push it with my feet to the side of the well the foot well and sit in the seat I just, oh my gosh. Well, the number one thing that car and driver says you should not eat in your car is the spinach and egg white wrap. They claim it is the absolute drippiest, wettest, leakiest breakfast ever. Oh my gosh. A leaky breakfast. Okay, (laughs) wettest, drippiest, leakiest breakfast doesn't even get eaten at the table. That... It's a trough. That yeah. is you serve it in a trough. Yeah, you need to get in a bathtub naked and just eat it. That's gross. <laughs> okay, um, so enough with eating in the car because really, honestly, I have had my fill of, as, the, as my French self is going to say, I am rollable with eating in the car right now. So we're going to pass on to segment two, our traditional segment two, a one-minute cooking tip. What is it this week? Add one tablespoon of butter to any jarred spaghetti sauce or marinara sauce to make it richer, tastier, and smoother. I concur. I completely can agree with this. And I can tell you that I can, as the kids say on TikTok and Twitter, I confirm. So I confirm. You add a little butter to, t- to jarred marinara sauce, and it is so much better. And let me also add, if you want to go insane, you also add a drizzle of balsamic vinegar, oh, and sure. that's a, that's going insane mm. with it, and it will taste infinitely better. Okay. Up next, Bruce's interview with Amico Davies, the author of the Venetian cookbook, Cinnamon and Salt with Amico Davies. Today, I'm speaking with Amiko Davies. She is a food writer and photographer whose previous books include Florentine and Tortellini at Night. She lives in Florence, and her latest book is called Cinnamon and Salt, Cicchetti in Venice, Small Bites from the Lagoon City. Welcome, Amiko. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So your new book, Cinnamon Salt, is a Venetian cookbook, and it's all about Cicchetti. Can you explain what Cicchetti is and its importance in Venetian life? The idea of cicchetti is it's a small thing. That's what that's what the name literally means, something small. And it is literally a, a little a bite to eat. 
Um, you know, a lot of people tend to compare them to tapas, which um, don't say that in front of a Venetian. They get very sensitive about that. It's not tapas, but the idea is, is sort of similar. Let's say like even Italian aperitivo in other cities, um, you know, a little bite to eat while you're having, you know, maybe a glass of wine or a spritz before dinner. Um, that's chiquetti. But what makes chiquetti a little bit different from these other traditions is that chiquetti are a go-to at any time of the day. So you'll find chiquetti bars open at 8.30 in the morning and you could have your breakfast with chiquetti. You could go in in the middle of the morning after maybe going to the market or you know, you or you make you make a lunch out of it. If you just visit a couple of chiquetti bars and have a little bite here and a little bite there, after you know a few a few of those, you know you you're you're pretty much set for lunch. So it's a thing that goes throughout the day. It's not just an evening thing. The main idea is you've got a little drink and a, a whole selection of of things to eat. And are these little bites these these chiquetti, is this something found exclusively in Venice or can I find them if I go to Florence or I go to Milan? You know, there is actually a chiquetti bar in Florence that's run and it is run by Venetians. No, but chiquetti are, um, are, are very specifically Venetian. Um, the name chiquetti is, is Venetian. If you go into a traditional place, the type of things that you find are quite specifically Venetian as well. And that's what I've tried to, to show in the cookbook, all the recipes that are really, you know, typically Venetian. And then let's say that in today's time, <laughs> um, with globalization and a lot of comparison with tapas, I do find that there are now a lot of chiquetti bars in Venice that have grown and changed their offerings to include also more modern chiquetti that I would say are maybe more similar to what you find in a tapas bar or could or something you could find really anywhere. But I tried to focus on the really is particularly Venetian things, the things you can only find in Venice, you know, that I think you will enjoy if you go to Venice as well. So let's start off with the most classic of all chiquetti. That's how you start your book off with bacala. What is it? And what is the trick to getting it right? So uh, this is something that um, is very, very confusing. But bacala in Italy is salted cod. And so Whenever you see this word translated, bacala mantecato is the, is the typical chiquetto that you find in Venice. I see this throughout so many cookbooks that are written in English. It's always translated as salted cod, whipped salted cod. And we have to stop right here because in Venice and only in Venice, bacala is actually stockfish, not salted cod. So you're dealing with two very, very different um, processes of preserving the same fish. It's still it's still Atlantic cod, um, but completely different. And so you have different texture and different flavor. But essentially, uh, bacala in Venice, whenever they say bacala, and if whenever you see it on a menu, bacala, it's always going to be stockfish, just so that you know now. And what that is, is it is a dried Atlantic cod. It's made in Norway and it is dried in the cold months of the year, in the cold, dry air um, that they have up there. And basically it is dried out until it is a, a piece of wood. Um, in fact, stockfish, you know, comes from the word like it's a stick. Uh, I would say it's more like a rock. It's really, really hard. And if you if you buy one whole, you know, it's, you're talking about a really long piece of fish. 
it's basically been cut in half. So it doesn't have the backbone. Uh, it doesn't have the head, but you've got the rest of the fish. It's long. And if you're trying to soak it, you've got to stick it in your fridge. It's really hard to fit this like piece of bakala in your fridge. Um, but what's even harder is trying to cut it in half when it is um, dry. So it is a really, really hard, like hard as rock, dry piece of fish. And there's no salt involved. So when you're working with bakala, you know, in Venice, they sell them already soaked, which is very, very handy. What you're dealing with there is you have this fish that is rehydrated. So it has a, a particular texture. I'm not, I wouldn't say like stringy exactly, but it is sort of towards a stringy sort of texture and it isn't salted. So it has a very, very delicate flavor. And that's what you need for bacala mantecato. Um, so you want to, sorry, you want to poach it first and then you whip it with a garlic clove which I usually um, poach also in the water, but some people leave it raw if you want it really like punchy. Um, that can be quite in your face. So I do suggest cooking it as well. And then you're you're whipping it slowly with a drizzle of olive oil going very, very slowly, a bit like you would a mayonnaise. And the effect is you have this, this whipped um, like paste almost, like a cream that then you can spread onto crostini or onto maybe little squares of polenta that have been fried or grilled. Uh, and that is the classic, the, I think the most classic um, chiquetto that you can have when you're in Venice. Another classic you talk about in the book, sarde and sour, uh, sardines fried and soaked in vinegar. You have a recipe in the book that is so easy to follow, but you have an interesting vegetarian version of this. So can you talk about the traditional dish and your vegan alternative? Yeah, so sarde, sardines are, are the classic one. You will butterfly them, you take off the, the head and you fry them in, in oil. Then they are basically going to go in under a marinade and this marinade could be um, red wine vinegar, white wine vinegar. Some people I know use lemon juice. So, you know, what you have on hand, really. Um, I like it with white wine vinegar and um, uh, and then you want you need something sweet in there as well because the vinegar on its own is really, um, it can be overpowering. So you have these sweetly cooked onions, like very, very slowly cooked. You don't want to brown them. You just want them to be um, softened and translucent and, and stay really sweet. And also raisins. Some people like to put pine nuts. I like the pine nuts in there too. Um, and uh, depending on the household, you know, uh, some people put a, a little pinch of um, spice in there. There might be even cinnamon, um, hence the cinnamon and salt of the title. And others might use something like cardamom or nutmeg. There's all kinds of different white pepper. So you can, you can, you know, customize it to your, to your tastes. Um, but that's the general idea is the sarde and sour have this marinade that is sweet and sour at the same time. And that you can do this preparation with, with literally anything. You could do it with scampi. You could do it with chicken. Um, but the recipe that I really like is with radicchio, mm. which is a Venetian vegetable that I absolutely adore and I could eat, I think, in every single way possible. Um, so what I like to do there is is cut the radicchio into wedges so that you have this, you know, sort of a, a good-sized piece, um, but that the leaves are still attached together. And you can grill it 
um, just to get a nice sort of char on one side and then you put it under this marinade and I don't know if you've seen the effect of um, radicchio with a marinade on it but it just brings out the colour even more so you have this beautifully coloured uh, dish in the end and that's that's one of my that's one of my favorites you said earlier that um chiquetti bars are starting to be a little more global you're seeing influences from other places in the world so you talk about modern chiquetti in your book cinnamon and salt everything from cured sea bass with cumin to smoked tuna with horseradish are there any rules to creating modern chiquetti or is it anything goes as long as it's one or two bites it seems like anything goes as long as it's one or two bites, but um, let's say there are, I mean, there are a few rules. These are, these are not so much rules for whoever's eating them. Um, I would say these are sort of guidelines for the, the host, <laughs> you know, so, you know, in, in the fifties and sixties in particular, Chiquetti bar owners were, you know, trying to get people to spend a bit more money. I mean, wine in Venice is very, very cheap. A little glass of wine at a Chiquetto bar, even now, I mean, you, you only have to pay a couple of euro. It's very, very cheap. So you want them to drink more. And in order to get them to buy more drinks, um, you offer the kind of Chiquetti that, you know, makes you want to drink more. So <laughs> things that are spicy, <laughs> um, things that are hard to swallow, you know, like a hard boiled egg. If you've ever tried eating a hard boiled egg without chasing it up with something afterwards to help it go down, uh, you'll know what I mean. Even like boiled potatoes, which sounds so, so simple, but a boiled potato or a roast potato, <laughs> those are also really classic, really basic chiquetti. Um, you know, something a little toothpick in it and it's sitting there on the counter. Yeah, the spiciness or um, things that are very salty. So, for example, uh, a really great chiquetto uh, that I really love from a, a bar in Venice called Alarco. They have um, gorgonzola with an anchovy on top. So you have both <laughs> the saltiness and the spiciness. And definitely after eating one of those, you need to order another drink. Mm. So those would be sort of the classic kind of guidelines that, um, you know, the the hosts would, would sort of go by in order to, you know, beef up their revenue a little bit. You know, these are the kind of things that we're going to offer now because <laughs> we want we want people to order another drink. Fried Bites have their own chapter in your book, from calamari rings that most people know about here in the U.S. to battered fried salt but so many people are afraid of deep frying at home. Do you have any tips or advice on frying in a home kitchen? In our house, my husband and I, we love frying. It's um, it's something that I do quite often. And I think um, a, a good tip is to just to keep in mind that you only have to fry a small amount. You don't have to, you know, you're not doing um, something from like a restaurant where you have like a big vat of oil. I use um, a very, very sm small saucepan. It's the smallest saucepan that I have. That way I use less oil. So I just, you know, fill that up. So it's a couple of inches deep for whatever it is that I'm frying. And I do a cup, maybe, you know, two or three batches, but because I'm just, you know, I'm frying for myself or for um, the family, I'm never frying like huge, huge amounts. So I think that that might be something that sort of scares people off it looks like it's a lot of oil or that you're going to make a lot of mess or that you need some, you know, sort of fancy equipment, but really just a small saucepan is fine. And if you're using a saucepan rather than something wider, you actually use a lot less oil. And then 
I think the other thing that you know worries people about frying is what to do with the oil after you've fried with it. I personally don't reuse oil. I uh, recycle it after it's been used. So if I'm frying, I try and fry like all the things I can think of while it's on and while it's hot. I'm like, I can, I when, I, when I've got it there going, I'm like, what else can we throw in here? Um, so in the past, I've gotten quite creative. I've even fried like wisteria flowers before, <laughs> things like that. But, um, I tend to go in order of like what's a more delicate flavor as well if I'm frying multiple things. So things like zucchini flowers or wisteria flowers, you know, you, you would fry those first um, as they're quite delicate. And then if you've got things like fish, which have a stronger smell, you know, fry those towards the end. If you've got crumbed things, fry those at the very, very end so that you don't have, you know, little crumbs sticking to the, sticking to the batter. So you always want to do crumbs towards the end. And once you've, you know, you've got that, you've got all your fried things done, I have jar, like glass jars or I have actually now a special, a special container that is made for holding oil. And then I just take it down to our recycling center where they, where they recycle oil. Um, here in Italy, you'll find like specific like garbage bins for doing that in neighborhoods. So you can just <laughs> wander down to the garbage bin and tip your oil in and you're, and you're done. Miko, I love an Aperol spritz, and I know that is the drink of Venice, if, if not of all Italy, if not one of the world's favorite cocktails. And can you describe your perfect Aperol spritz? And in the book, you photograph it with a garnish that might surprise a lot of people. You want to talk about it? How's it normally garnished in the States? With an orange wheel. In Venice, it's always um, with an olive, and it's usually, you know, a, quite a large green olive with with this with the ones that have the pits still in them so not like a you know the one with the pimento in it just um just a lovely big green olive stick it on the end of a skewer stick and you know pop it in the glass there uh and then the rest of it is i i mean i love that now it's a lot easier to find different types of bitters even here in tuscany so you know, it used to just be Aperol, you know, Prosecco, and then some soda water to top up the spritz. Campari, you know, sometimes was used. When you go to Venice and you ask for a spritz, the next question immediately that comes out of the, the waiter's mouth is, or the barman's mouth is, what kind of spritz do you want it with Campari, Aperol or Select? Those are the three sort of main ones. And Select is a, is a Venetian bitter. It's kind of a, I would say it's like an it's between um, an Aperol and a, and a Campari with the colours, you know, more towards a Campari, like a reddish sort of beautiful red colour. Um, and it's become my favourite since discovering it in Venice and I'm very happy now that now that I know it and I look for it and I ask for it, <laughs> I've been able to find it also in, in some bars here in, in Tuscany. But admittedly, it's, it is a very, very Venetian thing. It was invented like right in Venice in Canareggio, so um, it's well known there. And um, and sometimes you might even find uh, people doing spritz with chinar, which is um, an artichoke um, bitter as well, which is which is also delicious, um, drier, uh, very very nice. So yeah, the select though is one that I think if you get the chance, if you spot it and see it, um, you know, try it with select. Uh, and then, you know, and then they'll top it up with Prosecco and then hopefully also a little spritz of um, soda water and then 
the olive. In your sweet chapter of cinnamon and salt, you offer up some recipes for the most classic of Italian cookies and cakes, like the pinza di pane. Can you tell me why you love it enough to include it in your book? And is this something I serve with coffee, or something I serve with something more? Potent than coffee. Okay, so the pinza is like a bread pudding, which maybe doesn't sound quite the same actually in English because a pudding we think of something you might eat with a spoon. This you can bake it so that it it looks like a cake, but it is it is essentially like a bread and butter pudding. So you have like stale bread, you know, eggs and milk and sugar. But it is all sort of it's all sort of mixed up together rather than bread and butter pudding being like in this perfect slices of bread. Usually it's got some, you know, lemon zest, orange zest, maybe some raisins. They love raisins in Venice, um, or as dried figs, things like that inside, and quite nice to add like a little bit of a little touch of fennel seeds as well. You mix all of this up together and you bake it like a cake. It's a really simple, really, really homely uh, kind of dessert. You can even make it with leftover polenta instead of the bread. So you you would do the sort of the same thing, mix all of this up and bake it like a cake and then serve it in slices. And traditionally, this was a dish that you would make for the epiphany, which is on the 6th of, of January. So I'm sort of imagining like this foggy, very, very cold Venice and everybody's house sort of smells like this, you know, bread and butter pudding being baked. But the tradition here is that if you are young and single, um, if you went to eat pinza in, I think it's seven different households, then you would be guaranteed to get married within the year. But as for what to drink it with, um, I mean, this is quite nice as like a breakfast cake, but um, it is also very, very nice with a glass of, of some sweet uh, wines or like a dessert wine um, or like a masala. Here in Tuscany, I would have it with a vinsanto. Miko Davies, thank you for spending some time with me this morning. Your new book is Cinnamon and Salt. People can find out what you are up to at amicodavies.com. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. We had such great food when we were in Venice. We were in Venice, so, I don't know, probably a decade ago yeah. now. It's been yeah. it's been oh, a long time because COVID, you have to go minus three for everything. So there's COVID, the, the COVID minus three to figure out the dating of when you were anywhere. But maybe about 10 years ago we were there and, wow, we had spit. Spectacular. Uh, the chichetti, the chichetti we ate just was fantastic. And everything, I, man. I, I had, and I have to tell you, Bruce had never been to Venice before, and I had been several times in my life, and I was very sneering. He wanted to go to Venice, and I was like, "Oh, Venice, ugh, it's just all tourists, and ugh, I don't want to go, and blah 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 blah." But I went, and I was overwhelmed by the food restaurants that we. I was overwhelmed by the restaurants that we found. They were unbelievably better than anything I remember. Okay. Before we get on to our next segment, let's say that it would be fantastic if you would subscribe to this podcast, if you'd rate it on the Apple page, if you just drop down to the bottom, there's a whole set of comments and it says rate this podcast. And there's also a little tiny button that says write a review. You can click it. All you have to do is say thanks. Great podcast. That would mean a lot to us. As we've said before, we are unsupported. We are doing this just for the sheer fun of doing it. We hope you're having fun too. Thank you for being with us the entire time. We are glad you're part of our circle. Okay, up next. What's making us happy in food this week? Okay, you get to go first as usual. 
Quail eggs. I am quail so eggs. Quail legs. L with an L. Legs. A quail the legs. Thing they walk on when they're not flying. Mm, quail legs. Thank you. They don't walk on their eggs when they're not flying. <laughs> we were at a dinner party and our friend served quail legs in the air fryer to have with drinks and she brought out this giant bowl with there must have been 50 little crunchy crispy brown delicious quail legs and they were amazing they and she just put them in olive oil salt and pepper she says in a bowl and then dumped there's the technical cooking term dumped them in the air fryer for i don't know how probably about 25 minutes at 400 degrees shaking them a lot until they were crunchy like bacon they were amazing. And so what's making me happy in Food This Week was from that exact same dinner party. Her son had been to Montana shooting and had shot grouse. And we had quick, seared, wild caught, wild shot, wild butchered grouse breast. It was unbelievable. The meat was Blood red, no scarlet red. It wasn't even when it blood was red. Raw, it was scarlet. Purple. Well, those were yeah. sharp tail grouse, also called sharpies. And I went over the day before to help butcher them up, and it was so cool because the way they had been sent back from his hunting trip was the birds were all intact and plucked and skinned except one wing. One wing was left with all its feathers, so you could identify what it was. Mm, right, sharpies. It, they're called sharpies. Sharp-tailed grouse, mm-hmm. and he shot them in Montana, right? Mm-hmm. And the breasts, you would think that they would be gamey, really, really strongly gamey, but they weren't. They were they were indeed minerally as game tastes, but it didn't have a strong liver flavor. Not it was a all. more minerally earthy. And if you're not used to eating good game like that, I should tell you that it's totally not sweet. Stockyard raised beef and pigs and chickens are so sweet. The meat is actually so sweet because of the feed that the animals are given. This, of course, is a wild bird, and so there's very little sweet about the meat at all. Instead, it's earthy and savory and Oh, it was just delicious. So that's our podcast for this week. We would love for you to be with us on our Facebook page, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. But we would love to see you however we can see you on any social media platform. And we would like you to subscribe. Please just subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a single episode because we will be back every week with another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark.